0: Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I have heard many Christians say that they want to see the mandatory prayer put back into our public schools. But do they really? and by supporting that are they really for religious liberty or maybe they're kind of supporting the opposite well let's take a look at that today the, you know the covid vaccine mandates have highlighted moral and legal issues when it comes to religious liberty in our country for example as you may know if you're a listener to the to the podcast that my wife works in the medical field and we have had to go to battle over a religious exemption for her because she was going to be mandated to take the vaccine. Now, we aren't anti-vaxxers. We do believe in, in, in vaccines, certain ones. But on a religious liberty basis, we believe that the Bible says that we should have body autonomy, which means that we should be the ones that decides whether or not we put something into our bodies. Now, under the law, employers are allowed to question the employee about their exemption. And now, that that, that doesn't requ- require church attendance, so you don't have to go to church in order to get a religious exemption. It doesn't require that you tithe to a recognized denomination or that you have a letter from your, your clergy or pastor. It does require that you articulate an argument that is religious in nature and not more generally about your personal beliefs so it doesn't mean you, you can't get a religious exemption for personal beliefs you have to get it based off of some sort of religious nature uh, type of argument now there is also a portion that the that the the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission says gives the right to an employer to deny a religious exemption for what's called undue hardship. Undue hardship. That's defined as more than a de minimis or minimal burden or cost to run an employer's business. It could not lead to an employer, an employee getting fired even, um, but the the employer does have to make some sort of effort in order to respond to a religious, religious exemption. Um, like for instance, I, I have a friend who needed to be able to have a desk that raised up because she needed to be able to stand for a portion of the day. She couldn't uh, sit down for the entire time at her computer, and so she needed a raise. The employer for her exemption, not religious, obviously, in this case, had to be able to provide that for. It wasn't that much of a hardship, and they were uh, required to do so. But what is happening with religious exemptions right now, in many cases, is that many employers are granting the religious exemption but are not attempting to make any kind of accommodations and instead just firing the employee or even worse putting them on unpaid leave so they can't collect unemployment so how do we get to the religious freedoms that we have in this country that other countries don't have you you always hear how the puritans fled to this land because of the lack of religious liberty in Europe, and that that is true, but there's actually more to that story. As chronicled in the Freedom Forum Institute, it says that most of the European settlers who came to North America in the 17th century from England and from France and Spain and, and you know, all these were nations with uh, established churches, obviously, a, a society without a, an established faith was just unimaginable. I mean, to them, if you had a society that didn't have a, an, an established faith, that just doesn't make any sense. right? The, the unity and the morality of a community, uh, it, it was believed by them, depended upon divine sanction of political authority. And and conformity of the the populace in matters of faith. So obviously, what they what they needed and what they what they thought they needed was they needed this this unity, this this merging, this marriage of of government and of of uh, religious faith in order to have the the unity and the morality uh, that that a community needs. Uh, Eventually, however, by uh, separating religion and government and by granting freedom to all religious groups, America launched a new political experiment, unprecedented in world history. The world had never seen anything like like we have today. Now, like, like many who arrived on these shores in the 17th century, the Puritans of Massachusetts Bay came to America seeking religious freedom. We know that. Religious freedom um, was was something that um, they sought for themselves, but maybe not necessarily for others. The freedom they sought ha- ha- was was for themselves in in what they saw as their religion. The Puritans felt called by God to establish a new Jerusalem, a new Israel, a a holy commonwealth based on a, a covenant between God and themselves as the people of God. How, how many times have have you thought to yourself, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we just went together and pooled our money and, and bought, bought a, a big piece of land somewhere and just established a, a Christian community where you know, the laws were, were, you know, based off of the Bible and, and we didn't really have to worry about all, all these different government mandates or anything like that. We just kind of did our thing. Well, that's kind of what they thought. This is, this is, this was the Puritan way of thinking back then. All laws, um, to be grounded in, in God's, God's law, um, through, through um, separate areas of authority for church and state uh, in this Puritan, Massachusetts, all laws of the, of the community were, were um, based on the Bible, on God's laws, and, uh, and all citizens were expected to uphold the divine covenant. This was something they, they, they wanted to, to, to set up for themselves based off of how they saw themselves religiously. Massachusetts was to be an example to the world of God's kingdom on earth. It was, as they put it, a city upon a hill, of course, taken from scripture. Now, very early in the Massachusetts experiment, dissenters arose to challenge the Puritan vision of a holy society. Uh, Because on paper, we can kind of think, wow, this kind of sounds awesome, you know, this this community that's based off of the Bible and off of, you know, a a devotion to God and and this type of thing. But in practice, it doesn't necessarily work out real well. (laughs) so the first dissenter was a guy by the name of Roger Williams. And uh, he he was himself a Puritan minister, but with a, a real very different vision of God's plan for, the the human society williams argued that god had not given divine sanction you know to the puritan colony that that he didn't just you know what type of thing where he says you are the ones that are going to be you know my my shining example on a hill in in his view the civil authorities of massachusetts had no authority to involve themselves in matters of faith The the true church, according to Williams, was a voluntary association of God's elect. So any state involvement in the worship or, or God, therefore, was contrary to the divine will and inevitably led to the defilement of the church. He believed that we should have free will. Now, soul liberty means freedom of conscience for all. William's argument for religious liberty had, had two principal parts. Freedom of conscience as, as God, God's will, central to, to Roger Williams' arguments for separating church and state, was his conviction that it was divine will that every individual's conscience... Remain free to accept or reject the word of God. Williams defined freedom of conscience, which he called this soul liberty, as the freedom of each person to follow his or her heart in matters of faith without interference or coercion by the state. So, in other words, if we didn't have a free will to choose, well, that's not biblical. And religious intolerance was was not something that he was about. Citing Europe's long history of wars and divisions, Williams pointed out that coercion in matters of faith inevitably led to persecution and bloodshed. So I guess to put it another way, let me, let me put it another way here. Roger Williams believed that we all have a God-given right because of free will, to choose to follow God or not to follow God, that throughout history, whenever the state interfered in the business of the church, bad things happened. I, I can give you examples. Examples would be uh, the Crusades, the Crusades where where the popes would would put together armies. And they would they would march mainly to Muslim type areas, and they would give them you know, a mandate. They would say, either you become Christian and you disavow yourself of whatever religion you're you're following now, or we're gonna kill you. Now that's not biblical. <laughs> and yet it happened. And what's side note, what's funny is that if you look, a lot of our private Christian schools mascots are the crusaders which gives you pause but that's a side note. <laughs> um another example would be Europe at this time where there were basically mandated denominations and said this is what the the this the denomination of this country is this is this is the one sanctioned by the state. We have even uh, seen this among Christian businesses and organizations. Uh, examples like the YMCA and the YWCA. Uh, these started out as Christians, you know, Young Men Christian Association, that's what it stands for. Um, these these started out as Christian organizations and have completely gotten away from any, anything Christian. Uh, Boys and Girl Scouts. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're nothing. Uh, there's nothing really Christian about them today. Uh, Christianity today the, the, the organization uh, formed by Billy Graham. Uh, you know he, he, again is, a, is an organization now that doesn't have much to do with Christianity really. And it did not matter if government was trying to help the church or not. Eventually what Williams was his thought was that eventually it would end in in bloody persecution. And that's what we see throughout history. He was right. So that's where Rhode Island's experiment in religious liberty starts. See, Williams found it necessary to seek religious liberty outside of Massachusetts pay. And he found it in the founding of Rhode Island. Banned from Massachusetts in 1635, Roger Williams founded Rhode Island, the first colony with no established church and the first society in America to grant liberty of conscience to everyone. This meant Jews, Quakers, and others that were not welcome elsewhere. Well, they made their home there. But here is the wider significance of Rhode Island's religious liberty. Eventually, Williams... um, conception of soul liberty, like we talked about, had an impact far beyond the Rhode Island experiment. In the 18th century, dissenting religious groups, particularly the Baptists, were inspired by William's ideas to advocate uh, disestablishment and freedom of conscience. And some historians also argue that William's writings influenced the Enlightenment philosopher John Locke, and of course, you may recognize his name, as a key source for Thomas Jefferson's views concerning religious liberty. This led to freedom of conscience as an American conviction. The Puritans' demand for religious liberty for themselves became, in the vision of Roger Williams, a requirement of religious liberty for all, not just the one. This revolutionary idea was echoed to a lesser degree and for a brief period in the 17th century Maryland and later more fully in the 18th century holy experiment of the, you know, the Quaker William Penn's colony in Pennsylvania and and other places. Gradually, the extension of liberty to include not only one's own group, but also others, even those of whom we disagree became a central American conviction. It is this principle of full freedom for people of all faiths and of no faith, even that was embodied in the you know, 150 years later in the, in the first amendment to the constitution. So that leads us to today. <laughs> now, based off of that, that leads us to today. and, and, An opinion piece that I saw from Daniel Bennett uh, from the aforementioned Christianity Today, Um, he said that if you believe in religious liberty only when it's good for society, then you really don't believe in it. A sincere commitment to religious liberty requires support for exemptions that allow people to do things you might disagree with whether that's Mennonites refusing to serve in the military or Catholics declining to work with uh, same-sex foster parents or Native Americans doing drugs. Um, Now you're going to see that I, I believe in, in much of what he just said there. We're going to, we're going to disagree though on this article. (laughs) I think, I think, uh, I think he brings up some points and then he kind of, unfortunately dismantles them. So (laughs) Uh, let's let's see what he continues to say. He says so supporters of religious liberty and robust religious exemptions might feel convicted about a court ruling in Pennsylvania that rejected religious exemptions to mask mandates in schools. On one hand, the best information from public health experts say masks are good. Simply. A simple way to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. Well, that's not true, (laughs) But, but let's pretend it is just for argument's sake, okay? On the other hand, shouldn't we support the right of people we think are wrong? Yeah. Religious liberty is too important, he says, to let it get misused. And I would agree. It's not a waiver to avoid all inconvenience in life or worse, a tool to make political statements, for religious liberty to survive political and legal scrutiny in the future, we must safeguard exemptions against abuse. We can't let appeals to shared faith or shared enemies mask bad faith arguments that undermine our religious liberty. Okay, let's stop here just for a second. This is where the author starts to contradict himself. And he says that religious liberty is important, and it is. And then he starts to say how it shouldn't be used. So, oh, we have this really important thing, but we really shouldn't be using it. It's like, I have this really beautiful, big, wonderful diamond, but we're going to lock this thing away so nobody can see it. We're not going to use it at all. Doesn't make a lot of sense. At the height of, the, of World War II, West Virginia schools required students to begin their day by saluting the flag and re, uh, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. For Jehovah Witnesses, these requirements m- amounted to idolatry, violating their deeply held convictions. They refused at significant personal cost. Eventually, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that these students should not be coerced in participating. Famously declaring, if there is any fixed star in our constitutional uh, um, constellation, it is that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in matters of politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. Really kind of an interesting section um, by the U.S. Supreme Court, and one that, you know, you could probably do a whole entire podcast on, but let's move on. It says, in the earliest days of the pandemic, state and local governments scrambled to find ways to slow the spread of COVID-19 and limit its impact on society. They enacted various regulations, including mass mandates, limit limitations on group gatherings. These usually applied to both public and private spaces, including government buildings, concert halls, businesses, and yes, churches. Now, this is not limited to the early days of the pandemic. It is continuing today. Here, here in the Pacific Northwest, where this podcast originates, we still even have outdoor mask requirements. If you have an event that is over a certain number of people, then you were required to wear masks. Now not everybody does. There's a lot of dissenters now, but you're, the 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 the, um, the authorities that, that of of the governor and all this kind of stuff say that you're supposed to do it, and you can get in trouble if you don't. And if you want to go to an indoor activity like go to a game or a concert, then you have to be vaccinated. Now some of these rule rules violated constitutional protections of religious liberty. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? Because they were not applied consistently across different contexts. Officials in the nation's capital ignored limits on outdoor gatherings for protests, but not for church services. And Nevada's policies treated churches and and casinos markedly differently in setting indoor attendance limits. In these instances some churches pushed back and rightfully so. They took their cases to the court and won. But they were not asking for special accommodations because public health mandates were inconvenient. They demanded the policies be con- consistently applied. Now, I'm going to say that many churches went far beyond just asking asking for consistency. Many churches, even some in in liberal states like California, sued and won the right to freely assemble because they have the religious right to do so. The Bible says that we are not to stop getting together physically. So to do so because the government says you know to to not get together, well that's that's pitting government against God. It goes on and says, other objections, however, had the effect of seeking exemptions from generally applied policies where the government had a compelling interest in mandating safety measures. In Colorado, Resurrection Christian School said it would not abide by local health ordinances mandating mask wearing and, and social distancing in the midst of the ongoing outbreaks. In And in Pennsylvania, a group of Christian parents with children enrolled in, the, in a public school said covering their children's faces was a violation of their deeply held convictions. Now, he says there are problems with these claims, though. Resurrection Christian required students to wear masks last year in accordance with the health rules, and it was only over the summer that it changed course and adopted an opposing position, citing differences to parental authority. Likewise, the Pennsylvania court pointed out that parents had no objection to their children wearing masks when participating in sports or other activities. Halloween masks are fine, apparently, while masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19 are not. As the Pennsylvania court found, that's a little hard to believe. Now, I'm going to say here that I believe that this Christian school took the wrong tack. The exemption should not have been that there is something in the Bible about wearing masks. It should have been that the government has no right to regulate mask wearing in a private Christian school because it doesn't. Now he says being fed up with the government policies whilst certainly you know, while certainly common, it is not the same thing as as sincere religious opposition. It's not too much to ask for consistency. Those who want exemptions to do things that are you know, that the majority of the country think are bad need to be available to demonstrate, their sincerity. He goes on to say that that consider Christian Christians claiming their faith should be exempt from the from new government mandates requiring vac, vaccines for everything from eating in restaurants to working in certain industries. These requests can be difficult to assess, but one thing we can ask is whether people have been um, consistent. It's sometimes hard to. Reconcile cases of people receiving other vaccines or you know taking common medicines who then argue that the COVID-19 vaccine poses an unacceptable burden on the religious convictions. Okay, why? <laughs> why? Again, it's 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 not about consistency consistency. It's the, the Bible does not say that we are perfect when we become saved and start a relationship with him. It actually talks about us being uh, like like infants and all we can consume is milk. Well, we then grow spiritually and we're able to understand more mature concepts and apply those to our lives. So even though I did something in the past, even if it was after salvation, it doesn't mean that it was the right thing to do. We we all learn and grow in our faith and and adjust our lives accordingly. And the other thing here is that most Christians are not saying that the Bible is against vaccines altogether. Now, I know there are some that are against them entirely, but that's not not the most. That's not the majority. What most are saying is that the Bible talks about there being a God-given right to bodily autonomy. You need no other example of this than when the Bible talks about end times. If if we don't have the right to choose what we put into our own bodies and how are we supposed to refuse to take the mark of the beast in Vermont, children are required to get vaccines before they attend public school. He goes on to say, and he says, it's, it's possible for you know, these, these people to suddenly found find religion or something. And all of a sudden they're, they're um, you know, not wanting to to get vaccinated, but more likely Uh, The more likely explanation is that some parents' religious um, opposition to vaccines are not entirely sincere, he says. Now, again, why? Why can't we use religious exemptions to avoid cultural changes? Culture can cause us to, to change how we present the Bible truths, biblical truths, but it does not change biblical truths. Isn't that what religious exemptions are for? It... Isn't this exactly what Roger Williams was afraid would happen when the government got involved with church business? Religious exemptions, he says, are important to the United States and to Christians who believe that their faith will, will sometimes put them at odds with, with culture and the cultural requirements and that type of thing. But here's, here's the, the the bigger question here. Who is going to be the judge of whether or not someone is sincere in their religious exemption, because if we're supposed to judge if somebody's sincere, who's going to be that judge? And he he says, as as the first freedom listed in in the First Amendment, religion is a uh, you know a, a privileged concept in America, is what he says. Government must treat carefully and tread carefully when its actions. Burden people's sin- sincerely held beliefs. At the same time, Christians should be ju- judicious about claiming religious exemptions. To generally, uh, you know, to these generally acceptable rules is what he's saying. He's, he he brings up Romans 13, and he goes goes on to go talk about First Peter 2:13 uh, and this kind of thing. I mean, we have covered both of these passages and what they mean before uh, on this podcast. They they mo they most definitely do not mean that we are to obey every government person of power. When, when they are making rules and laws that are evil or against the Bible, we are, we are to take a stand against them. And we are, we have the responsibility to, to, to make that stand. I, I, what, what I, I guess that we want to end here on is, is to say this, that as, as our, as more and more Americans turn away from Christ and the Bible, it will not matter how consistent we are at using religious exemptions. There will be an attempt to take away as many God-given rights as they can. It will be up to the church and other conservatives to remain and maintain the constitutional rights that we have for as long as we can. And you can always go to UncommonSensePodcast.com to disagree. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.